You're listening to the Mission Bitcoin Podcast. All right. Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to the Mission Bitcoin Podcast, where each week we explore Christian responsibility in adopting Bitcoin. I'm Matt Solik, your host, and man, oh man, do we have a good show for you guys today. Today, we sit down with Josh Young, the chief of staff with New Story, a nonprofit organization pioneering solutions to end global homelessness. In our conversation today, Josh shares with us the global need for addressing homelessness and the incredible efforts of the New Story team to combat these issues. Yeah, some startling statistics and some fantastic stories of what's happening. This might be one of my favorite conversations so far, and I am really excited for you guys to get to hear this episode today. So without further ado, let's jump into today's conversation with Josh Young. Hey, Josh, uh, thanks for joining us today. I, uh, as I mentioned, I'm super excited to, to talk to you, get to know about New Story. And for the audience sake, you know, when I was down in El Salvador, I heard you speak um, about the nonprofit space and uh, what New Story is doing, which just is an incredible story. And um, when I heard you, I just wanted to get you on the podcast. And I think for our listening audience, uh, many of them um, have, you know, other people on their hearts and, and um, the, the rest of the world on their hearts as Christians. So, um, yeah, just tell us a little bit about New Story and, and what you do for New Story, how you join the team. And um, I really want you, if you could, just to really start with how New Story began, because it's fascinating. Yeah, sure thing. So New Story is a nonprofit that pioneer solutions to end global homelessness. We launched back in 2015. Our CEO and founder went on a mission trip down to Haiti, was new to his faith and running a for-profit startup at the time and looking for a company to really give back to um, some of the profits that he was making. He got down there and just couldn't believe what he saw. His first time out of the country, uh, definitely first time to a developing world, and seeing people living on dirt floors in tarp tents really moved him in a dramatic way, specifically seeing well-known nonprofits with their logos on the side of these tarps and calling them housing like shelter places mm. to live mm. and just thought there had to be a better way to provide higher quality homes to families in need um, looked for a nonprofit that did something like that and where he could see where the money was going and just couldn't uh, he didn't see or find something he was satisfied with um, and decided to fill that need and that was the launch of new story to provide a new story for families that receive home mm. and then also a new story for nonprofits. So twofold, one uh, nonprofit offering full transparency of where your money is going. And that concept got us accepted into Y Combinator, which is the top startup accelerator in the world. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. Uh, produce companies like Airbnb and Coinbase 
um, lots of other successful for-profit startups. And we were one of the first nonprofits to ever be considered and accepted and graduate that program. Um, and that pushed us to think differently and operate more like a successful for-profit tech startup. We wanted to bring innovation to people who need help the most mm. and bring it to them first when typically families and people most in need don't see innovation first, if at all. So we just really wanted to flip that on its head. Um, so starting with having two separate bank accounts, one for our operations, the other for home building, we have a generous group of private donors we call the builders and they completely fund our operations and that offers us the ability to 100% promise that everyone else who donates it goes directly to home building costs that's fantastic and, wow yeah yeah getting that set up and you know offering that 100% transparency is what originally got us accepted into Y Combinator and then Y Combinator just amplified our will to do things differently and offer more things like, like that. We ended up trying to and succeeding at producing the world's first 3D printed community. So we three went down the Nacuca, Mexico. We 3D printed homes for the homeless, uh, people affected by the earthquake mostly. And we were the first investor and partner into this group called Icon. And when we first explored doing this, we had people tell us, like, that's crazy. Like, you're a nonprofit. Don't worry about doing things differently. Build homes the original way. Mm. Don't take risks. And then we also had a lot of our supporters tell us, you know, agree with us. Like, it's going to take big risks to tackle a global problem and why not let it be you? So um, we did take that risk and because of that builder group who funds our operations, we were able to do so without using any money that was donated specifically for home building, mm. right? And we paid the research and development team to really explore this and now Icon is a huge company. They just got a NASA contract to build a habitat on Mars. Um, and largely because of the success of this initial home building project in Nacajuca, Mexico with New Story. Um, we got a bunch of press. Apple TV documentary was made on it. We were front page of the New York Times for this effort. Um, and that's kind of just continually encouraged us to dream big and really pursue everything we do with excellence for those who need our help. Um, and the reason we even thought about doing this is because how big the problem is. Right now, there's 1.6 billion people that are homeless or live in inadequate shelter. And the UN is projecting that number to grow to. 3 billion by 2030. So current solutions aren't keeping up with the problem. It's not just, you know, being able to, but being able to build cheaper 
quicker and maintaining the quality of, or even increasing the quality of homes being built. We want these homes to last generations, families that they can be proud of and pass it down to their children, even their children's children. Um, and part of that is just building with dignity and respect. So that's our first and foremost reason for building. Do Josh, that's, that's fantastic. And I, you know, so the, the video of the 3d print that I, I don't know when that first started circulating, but that the first vision of that came from this, from this, uh, cooperation. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. It went viral back in 2019. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, it, we unveiled it at ASW where it, uh, and the, the homes were built up to us building code. That's fantastic. Uh, so right. just very high quality homes that only takes 24 hours of printing time. Is, so, but uh, well, yeah, so I, I, I mean, which is fascinating, but as I'm thinking about it, cause I remember in El Salvador, you said that th you guys had done that, but the, um, in some of the current projects you guys are working on, you try to use locally sourced labor and material. So Correct. is the 3d print not a part of the ongoing effort of new story or is it kind of ad hoc as needed? It is a combination. So even with the 3D printer, we 100% local materials to create the proprietary cement mix. Um, and then there is still local labor that's required to finish the assembly of the house. So the 3D printer just prints all the walls, the foundation. Um, it leaves space for doors and windows. The roof gets put on afterwards. So you still need local labor to supplement the 3D printer. Um, and also 3D printing isn't the only solution that we're working on right now to be able to provide affordable housing. Currently, the only projects using a 3D printer are in Mexico. So our work in El Salvador, our work in Haiti don't incorporate 3D printing, okay. um, mostly because you need to transport the 3D printer. Okay. And right now, Mexico is just closer. Got in it. proximity. Got it. Okay. The, that's fantastic. And, you know, as I'm thinking about the math here, you know, 1.6 billion, soon to be 3, 3 billion. I, I guess you guys probably don't spend too much time doing the calculus on that because, you know, that would take you a lifetime or more to, to solve that problem. I guess you guys just focus on doing what you're yeah. doing as as the as, as best you can for as many people as you can and hoping that other people will see the vision and and help solve the problem with you is that is that fair that's totally fair we know that we can't do this alone that's part of our our thesis we we share everything we learn uh, all our learnings full transparency and we hope that for profits other nonprofits governments social entities, everyone kind of takes us more swings at the affordable housing crisis. Um, and collectively, we can start to break down on that total number of global homeless. Um, and what, so and our, I'm sorry, our, John. That's yeah. why yeah. our focus is pioneer these solutions. 
and then share everything we learn. Uh, and it, I think about this a lot, actually, uh, and it's going to be a little bit tangential, but even if, you know, homelessness isn't conquered in my lifetime or the generation after me, like working towards good as a Christian, mm. there's still a, a lot of value in that, even if, you know, the final outcome isn't global homelessness is over. Absolutely. So, so like, if this is the purpose for my life, God is using that in a, a good, in a, in a way. Um, and it, it just, if, if we don't get to the promised land in my lifetime, that's okay. <laughs> that, that's very, very well said. You know, I'm, I'm a, Part of the work that we're doing down in Guatemala, trying to help with, you know, economic opportunity. I'm, I'm a firm believer that, you know, just because you're poor and just because you're homeless doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It's just, that's just, you know, yeah. how, how we have been created and, and where we live. Um, and I do believe that it is a biblical truth. You know, you can't, we're not going to be able to eliminate, eliminate poverty and we're not going to be able to eliminate homelessness, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't fight to end it. It's still a worthy fight and we should do everything that we can. Um, Josh, what, what, um, what techniques or pioneering work have you guys done that you have been able to see successfully implemented by another nonprofit or for-profit based on what you guys have done? Yeah. So one good example is we created a tool called Felix. It's a, a survey data intake tool. And when the pandemic started, we had to more or less shut down our building internationally. Uh, during that time, within two weeks, we were able to set up this tool to be used domestically. And we identified the people most in need that weren't getting government assistance to be able to help them stay in their homes. So we worked on a rent relief project, partnered with other nonprofits within the States to keep our neighbors housed. We called it the neighborhood. Mm. Um, and that we used that intake tool Um Fast Company actually named us one of the most in, innovative companies in the world mm. for the, the for the third out of four times um, because of this tool and this pivot towards rent relief. Um, that nonprofits, you know, kind of followed our lead on um, to identify people drastically in need who weren't getting government assistance. Um, so that, that's just one example. Mm -hmm. uh, and then our learnings of using local labor and being able to decrease the cost of home building while paying everybody at a profit um, and increase the speed of construction um, and being able to identify what families actually want and need depending on their culture it changes a mm -hmm. lot so i'll share an example uh from when the mexican government just a decade ago 
set out to build 2 million homes uh, over one presidency. And to their credit, they did build over 2 million homes, but they were terribly made. The government emphasized uh, just building quickly and as cheap as possible without worrying about quality. Mm. So the homes deteriorated pretty much as soon as they were done being built. Um, They made a lot of promises about having schools and uh, jobs come to these neighborhoods, uh, which never was, it never came to pass. So the land was just undesirable where the homes were built. And uh, now there's almost 800,000 abandoned homes mm. in this from this initiative because like students can't walk to school it's too far away there's no jobs cuz it's built way outside the city and all the promises the government made to make these communities work just wasn't fulfilled mm. so um people ended up moving to places where they could be squatters close to the city or homeless again. And so we do a, what we call a lean participatory design process before we even start construction, we built holistic communities. So we interview everybody who's going to move into these homes and take their feedback. We listen to their worries or concerns, their hopes and their dreams. And we build homes that they want, need, and provides them with dignity and respect. They were a part of creating these homes. Um, And in that way, we ensure that we're providing high quality homes for these families in need, not just supplying them with any shelter, or like building our idea of a good home. It's what they actually believe is a good home. Um, Another really short example is just uh, one nonprofit project that they they were nicely built homes. The bathrooms were inside though. And in this particular culture, it made a home unsanitary to have a bathroom inside, Mm. even if it was running water or whatever. So, Nobody wanted to live in these homes, mm. even though they were well built, because there was a bathroom inside instead of having the bathroom outside. Mm. So it's just like a quick overlook that has a drastic outcome of people abandoning homes mm. or homes going unused. Um, yeah, and so what- we share we share that process with every nonprofit uh, in within the areas of where we're building what what and so as far as the land is concerned i mean m- maybe you can build the better home but how do you get the better land i mean if the if the communities are built outside of the main city and there aren't any jobs there how do you how are you guys a part of that that solution yeah so all, the first for us since we're more focused on home building than anything else we don't do projects that aren't within I don't remember the exact number but a mile a couple miles from a city center okay you guys actually like plan yeah you, yeah you actually plan what you're doing okay 
Yeah, exactly. So we won't accept, like if it's government granted, we wouldn't accept government granted land unless it was within, uh, we have a couple of different constraints and bullets that need to be met before we would accept land to start a, a uh, project. And the, I guess the, the leverage you guys hold is you can come in and demonstrate that you build quality homes that people want, that people are going to stay in. And that basically becomes your leverage point for the government to give you, hey, look, Mr. Government or governor or, or mayor, if you want to uh, look good with your citizens, then you probably want us to build the homes. And if you want us to build the homes, then we're going to want this type of land. Correct. That's essentially exactly it. That's awesome. What? Okay, so Josh, let's try to get at the fundamental problem. Like I, I think of Haiti in particular. I mean, it's been over a decade since the really bad, or maybe I don't know um, what year it was, but you know, you we've got a monstrosity of an organization, the UN, that has basically been forever in Haiti, but nothing seems to, yeah. to improve. So, you know, what is the problem and what can, how are you guys able to leverage and get out of that morass? Yeah. Haiti's, Haiti's so tough. They historically just have terrible luck on top of government corruption. So like between the national, natural disasters and the way that foreign entities handled Haiti's situation for, you know, centuries. It's, it's just kind of a tough place for anyone to work. Um, so uh, our work in Haiti is a little bit different. Our heart is there. That's where we started then, but different from our Latin American uh, work just because there's more there's more environmentally just sustainable ways to build in Latin America uh, and you know the local labor there's more access to talented labor uh, but you know we really try to empower the entire economy uh, when we build so, that's why we use 100% local labor and 100% local materials, and we pay everybody at a profit. So not only are we helping to serve families in need, um, we get entire community buy-in from our projects because we're hiring them, uh, we're paying them at a profit, giving them work. And we want to avoid situations like meaning well, but doing harm. Kind of like the Tom Shoes situation where they gave away shoes, but took away jobs from mm. local shoe builders and et cetera. So um, we want to avoid doing that and really empower everybody in the community and economy uh, when we, when we build. So our work in a, Haiti is not different in that way where we're empowering the entire economy when we help out. And I, I guess from a business perspective, I mean, again, coming from Y Combinator and thinking as a, as a tech startup, I mean, if you look at, 
you know, what's the five-year plan? What's the 10-year plan? I mean, for you guys, it would be, I mean, essentially building more and more homes. It's, it's like that. that's a, a giant blue sky opportunity. There's, there's always going to be plenty of homes for you guys to build. Yeah, exactly. There's just in Mexico alone. And we're, because we think more like a tech startup and because in our work and with our surveys, we find that families want to pay for their homes. Um, it provides dignity, respect, and it, it makes them, well, they do, they earn it. Sure. Then. They, they earn it. Um, so we're moving towards a subsidized with philanthropy model where part of the home cost will be paid back to new story right now we collect repayments for the homes but it goes to community funds in in mexico or el salvador um so we're even trying to make our philanthropic dollar stretch more with this this model and ultimately, we're a nonprofit, so that money doesn't come back to our operations. It stays in our home building budget and goes to providing more homes for families in need. Um, so, just, and in that asset class, families living well below the poverty line in need of home, either in inadequate shelter or homeless, there are 19 million people in Mexico alone mm. that need homes and have a sustainable income. Mm. Um, just there's no opportunity for affordable housing loans in, in the countries we work in Mexico or in Salvador. Uh, nearly 80% of families are unbanked. And for that reason, they're not served. Um, historically, they've been taken advantage of by banks. Uh, the ones that will try to get bank loans just can't because they have no credit history. Um, or if they are given a loan, it's predatory. Like it's not uncommon to see hundred percent interest rates. Wow. Okay. So you're, you're explaining something that I didn't quite understand. So you actually are providing homes for people that actually have the means to pay for these homes uh, with or without you guys, they have the means, but with the economic system the way it is, they've just not been able to actually buy a home. Correct. Uh, because banks in that area don't serve, because they're still below the poverty line. Got it. And that's why we're subsidizing these homes with philanthropy to build the types of homes we want to build. Got it. Yeah. Um, but they'll pay for half of the total cost over a five-year period. Um, and right now there's just no options for. Understood. But, but, the, but they are, they are uh, people that are working, generating income, but have just never been able to take advantage of any sort of financial opportunity. And um, I, I think one of the amazing statistics that you gave at, in El Salvador, when I heard you speak, um, talk about what home, building a home does for a family with education and, and all that? Yeah, definitely. So we do intake surveys and then we survey them throughout their life cycle uh, with the new homes. And in our communities, they 
go from having running water to 100% of the families that move into our homes have running water. Same for electricity. Um, the These families, their income increases on average 63% mm. um, after they move into a, a home. Um, and the, then they're able to pursue academics, pursue everything else because their basic needs are taken care of with having a home. Um, I mean, just think about, you know, where you're going to sleep every night. Yeah. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. If you had to wonder where you're going to sleep every night, that there's no room to dream beyond that. Your Mm. dream is Mm. even having a safe place to call home. Mm. So once you have that out of the way, you can dream again. Mm. You can wonder, you can, we have people in our community that typically would have had to drop out of high school now becoming lawyers and doctors. Mm. So there just room for hope is dramatically changed. Their thought for what life can be has dramatically changed. People who never imagined being able to afford a home now are becoming entrepreneurs and running their, their business out of their homes. So, um, home changes everything. It's something we say at New Story and it's something I believe fundamentally because of the way that I grew up. Um, Home really is the foundation that families need to thrive. Mm. And I I think one of the statistics was what, um, once you get a home, your your chance of graduating from high school goes up by 85% or some, it was a crazy number of um, the ability to, to finish your learning, your education. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty dr- dramatic. <laughs> Just like the, the ability to do so when you don't have to drop out of school to help your family uh, just pay for basically living conditions. Yeah. Right. You and, can actually go to school and, and graduate. And as you guys think about growing the the business, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, the business or the nonprofit, I mean, how do you maintain quality of the build and and your interface with the community? Yeah. So, I mean, it's something that we'll never do at New Story is sacrifice quality for the speed of construction or the price. Um with that said, that's our whole goal is to look for ways to decrease the cost and increase the speed while maintaining that high quality. So, you know, we're hiring a local team in Mexico City right now. Um, we just launched that Mexico City office this year, which will help us with the public relations within the country, as well as working with well-respected local partners and and government to be able to, you know, maintain our pulse on who we're serving. Um, we we want to be as engaged with the community we're serving as possible. And how do you guys like, you know, thinking about your work in El Salvador and Mexico and Haiti, you know, if you began your work in Haiti, how did you guys pick El Salvador? How did you guys pick Mexico? And then 
what's your process for engaging with new communities and, and um, uh, evaluating new opportunities? Yeah. Uh, in So historically, it's been from government relations. So I, it started in Haiti because of our heart for that country and, you know, our, our founders mission trip. And then in Latin America, there's plenty of places in the world where there's a need and particularly in developing countries. So the reason for working in developing countries is because you can build the same quality home that you can build in like, let's just use where our company is based San Francisco and the house will be 20 times less. So in, in our mission to prove these solutions work, it just makes a lot more sense to do that work internationally than where, where we live. Um, a home that costs $200,000 in San Francisco will cost us $10,000 to build in Mexico or El Salvador. Um, And then the reason we chose Latin America is mostly for proximity. We're a U.S.-based country, um, and we need to be able to get to these places quickly. Um, So, and being able to, we're a nonprofit as well, so being able to show donors and other supporters our work without, you know, crazy flights or multiple transitions. What, so if you think about, so I kind of have two questions for you. And as I, as you were talking, if you could paint a picture for us, you know, probably the largest uh, nonprofit home building operation I could think of is, you know, Habitat for Humanity kind of, you know, what is fundamentally different about what they're doing versus what you guys are doing? I mean, you're, it sounds like you're probably trying to do the same thing, but obviously different. And then, uh, when you guys come in is probably any quote unquote, uh, tech company mentality, you want to, um, do things well and, and you're, you know, firing on all cylinders. What, what's it like interacting with other NGOs that are probably, you know, taking a little bit slower? I mean, do you, do you ever find that you're ruffling feathers when you get into a community situation working with other groups? Yeah. Uh, we have really awesome local partners that we work with. So we're, we're, we don't ruffle as many feathers in that sense, but like a large organization like Habitat for Humanity, they're not thinking about building homes differently or operating nonprofits differently. It's really just building homes the traditional way, using volunteers to supplement costs of building homes the traditional way um, and really not not worried about the speed it gets done. So um, it's more just like, I'd say we have a bigger sense of urgency than a bigger nonprofit. Um, And from what I know about you know, our partnerships with, um, like we, we partner with Mission of Hope in, 
in Haiti, which is a big uh, nonprofit. Um, it's just kind of just a different mentality. And I've experienced it when I've worked in other nonprofits that that drive, that pursuit of excellence just isn't quite the same. It's still like at New Story, we're also bleeding hearts, but we're, we're from different industries. I worked in investment banking before I, I came to New Story. Um, and I, I still have that competitive drive and will to kind of be my best self and produce the highest quality stuff. Um, and as we just think in those terms, that's awesome. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of ask you the question I asked you before we started recording. And I don't know if you've had time to think about it as you've been talking, but what, what do you think about the concept of doing what you guys are doing and adding, you know, Bitcoin mining to the operation so that basically once the house is built, uh, you've got, you know, an instant ROI, not only for the family, but for New Story to pay back those mortgages. Um, what, what do you think about that concept and, and including in that a sustainable, you know, mining operation where you've got solar? Because most, most of the places where you're building um, have got really excellent uh, sunlight and or wind. But um, incorporating that into kind of a New Story build, what, what do you think about that concept? Yeah, I'll start with, you know, explaining the solution we're proving in El Salvador. We are building homes and repayments will be paid back in Bitcoin. It's going to be first community that the entire community pays back their home uh, via Bitcoin. And, now, you, and you guys are partnering with, uh, you're, you're partnering with Galoy Bitcoin Money. Beach. Yeah, and is, yeah, yeah Galoy Money's involved in that. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Galoy yep. and Bitcoin Beach. Um, they so Galoy built out the Bitcoin Beach app, and they're building a new story tab for it, specifically for one tap mortgage repayments for families. That's awesome. So they'd open the app um, every every month. They would just click the new story tab. It would give them the invoice. They click it, and their payment is processed. There's no fees on the Lightning Network. Um, and that way, we're able to prove out affordable mortgages without operation costs. Wow. Um, so uh, drastically reducing the need for higher interest rates and, you know, basically proving that Bitcoin can enable affordable housing solutions. And we think that with Bitcoin becoming more of a future of finance option, and especially with El Salvador making it legal tender, this could mean an affordable housing solutions for millions of people. As I mentioned earlier, 80% of Latin Americans are unbanked. So be, but over 90% of them have smartphones. Mm. So being able to pay for a home via Bitcoin could make loans possible again in these countries for for profits as well, not just for nonprofits. Sure. Um, What's so, the when you look at loan repayment in these communities? What is the typical loan repayment? Do you have any defaults, or what? what what's that look like? 
in our communities, we don't have defaults. Uh, um, but, you know, we're not in the business of evicting anyone. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So we, we work with people when, let's say, someone in the family dies or um, so that someone loses their job. We work with them to be able to continue to afford their home if we pause payments or whatever we do. Um, so, you know, for that reason, we, we've never had to, you know, have someone not move it. The only reason we would ever consider making someone leave their home would be if they were a detriment to the rest of the community or sure. harmed, harmed community members which hasn't been the case. Um, so, you know, the, our local partner has in Mexico has a, cause they do for-profit work as well um, with the similar asset class. Their interest rate, I mean, their default rate is like 1%, which mm. is ridiculous. Mm. Um, so if we can have that same level of success on our, uh, subsidized philanthropy model, that would be huge. That's fantastic. Um, and you've said it several times and I just want to kind of, uh, drill down a little bit, but you guys are always building in communities. You, you're not, you're not just building one-off homes here and there. You, you, it sounds like you always like to build in community. Historically, that's true. We are, as we scale out, we're moving to do, um, more incremental housing. So one-off homes, if a family already owns the land and they're within one of the communities we work in, then we will build their home at a very affordable price. Um, the, at the same quality that we build our other homes, it would just be you know, a, a demand-driven model. And we have a team working, working on that right now, a demand-driven model for families who can't get a loan but have some level of income and own land that they just haven't been able to build on yet and so right now the land uh usually is gifted by the local municipality you guys do not purchase land is that is that my understanding that historically that's true uh but not the case anymore uh in both el salvador and mexico we are now purchasing land Okay. For, for our projects, um, our, we'd like to have as much authority over our work as possible. So, you know, as we get bigger and get more funding, we're able to do more projects where we buy the land. So for this Bitcoin beach project, we're going to build about 200 homes mm. in El Zante. And that land we bought with um, help from our, our donors. That's fantastic. Do you ever see, uh, Josh, are you guys thinking about, you know, the ancillary, you know, structures like schools uh, to build within these communities? Yeah, definitely. Um, we, so in some of our projects, we partner with other either for-profits or non-profits that build the schools or build the churches. Um, but for the most part, all our communities are next to schools and jobs that families already have. So we, 
we prioritize buying land that's already next to city centers or next to where family already lives. Okay. That, yeah, that makes sense. And is the, is any of the, uh, you know, the, the founder, um, having gone to Haiti and, and you being a Christian as well, I mean, is there a, a missional component to what you guys do or is it, it's strictly, you know, a secular activity just with, you know, good, good Christian leadership? Uh, our company is technically secular, although most of our principles are based in our faith. Um, and like our team culture was kind of built out of biblical principle, although it, the, it is secular in the sense that you won't find God on our website. Sure, sure. So, yeah. That's awesome. Hey, uh, so... I've got a question for you. Uh, one, I'm looking at your website here and um, these homes are beautiful. Uh, these are just so gorgeous <laughs> to look at. This is like something yeah. you'd see like on HGTV. Um, but I have a question around, um, there's got to be a waiting list for some of the people that are engaging in some of these homes, correct? I mean, what is the, what's the process yeah. look like for vetting people to be able to get into these homes and what does the wait look, list look like? Yeah, absolutely. So historically, we've worked with government entities after earthquakes, other disasters to find families most in need or that could benefit most from from a home. Mm -hmm. And we've kind of developed on that model to include now as it's a demand driven model to still assess who's most in need, but also take into account how many family members will we be serving? Um, what are the families? current jobs, goals, and aspirations. So let's say someone's an entrepreneur, they might get extra points for moving a list so that they can operate their business out of their home. Mm -hmm. um, or if there's people in schooling ages that now they'd be able to graduate from high school or they will have aspirations to go to college, like they'll move up in our list. Mm -hmm. Basically, whenever we can enable someone to live out their dreams, mm. we'll move them up the list. It's fantastic. I mm. love this story. Yeah. It, it, this is just <laughs> incredible, uh, incredible story. Uh, and one other question I have, I know because you are faith-based primarily um, by, by the people that uh, the principles that you're, uh, that you abide by and the ways that you operate here, is there additional elements that you, maybe not your services provide, but I would imagine that there's got to be an element of personal connection that you have with a lot of these families. Uh, and, and is there any opportunities or um, moments that you guys have, even in just the ability to be able to share the gospel or to minister or to meet people's uh, you know, spiritual needs along with their physical needs as well too? Absolutely. And I personally have been spending a lot of time in El Zante. Um, I'm an open book about my faith, so it comes up in most of my conversations. Um, and we have a local partner who works with or for Bitcoin Beach, however you want to describe that, um, but started his own nonprofit he calls Hope House, which is where Bitcoin Beach's office is. And his name is Jorge Valenzuela. Mm -hmm. He and I talked about our faith a ton uh, my last time out there. And he happened to own 
a bunch of land and it's been on his heart to like give back to the community he's been blessed um through bitcoin beach and his work uh, recently and through our conversation realized god wanted him to sell his land mm. and he ended up giving it to us for 20 percent of the value mm. because he's been blessed and wants to make sure families in his own community are being served during a time that you know bitcoin is people are very supportive of el salvador doing this more real estate development companies are coming in more hotels he wants to be able to help families who already live there maintain a place to stay at a high quality um so we're doing a project in partnership with him and it was just on his heart of as he was praying to basically ask me if like it would be helpful to sell the land to do the mm. project that's awesome so that's just one dramatic example of <laughs> someone being led by christ to do our work and um he's he's just the best <laughs> um but yeah plenty of plenty of opportunities to you know use and exemplify our faith in this work mm, and awesome. he he and his nonprofit are faith-based so um yeah that's awesome uh you know it's <laughs> When I was, I, I have kind of a serious question about that development. Uh, you know, when I was there in El Zante and had the pleasure of taking a surfing lesson, my surf instructor, she was um, commenting on the fact that there's a lot of interest in El Zante now and tours seem to be coming and, and prices seem to be elevating. Is there a concern in El Zante in particular that there's going to be a gentrification of the property there, or, or are you guys thinking about that to make sure that that does not happen? Yeah, I mean, there definitely is concern about that, especially as so a lot of El Zante and El Salvador in general are living on squatted area. Mm. So land that isn't theirs and they made a makeshift shelter so you know tin walls tin roof um uh dirt floors but now that el zante is a place of interest and people see that there's value in their land mostly these uh el salvadorians have either moved to the states or they're just generationally wealthy and live in different parts of el salvador um, and don't really worry about this land now are worried about this land. So the community we're serving right now in El Zante, a lot of them are currently being told they have to evict mm. from, they have to leave their land immediately because the owner mm. is now trying to sell it to a real estate development company. Mm. That's terrible. So, I mean, is there, is there a, a solution to that? Is there an easy fix to that? Uh, hopefully we can provide uh, more opportunities for families to get homes um, and afford it. So that's kind of like, that's kind of like it, just kind of secure this land throughout El Salvador before it's sold to mm. uh, 
too many real estate development companies that aren't planning to serve yeah people in need mm. Mm. well I, I think that's definitely uh kind of a somber note to kind of end on and think about and probably <laughs> for for our audience to really kind of pray about honestly mm-hmm. um josh it's been a great great um interview it's I, I've been really looking forward to this, and I, I appreciate you taking the time to, to do this. Um, I I think I've got your Twitter handle. So is that the best place for people to kind of connect with you is via Twitter? Yeah, I mean, email is super easy. Josh at NewStoryCharity.org. Uh, my Twitter handle and Instagram are Joshua underscore LC underscore Young. Um, I'm very responsive on all platforms probably quickest over email okay perfect and uh i may be hitting you up about what we're doing in guatemala too so i really appreciate your time and and uh blessings to you brother and and have a good uh christmas thanks for joining us for this week's podcast if you're interested in finding out more information about new story ways for you to financially contribute towards building homes in these areas josh talked about today or even volunteering your services, be sure to visit newstorycharity.org. Also, I want to remind you that Patrick has recently released his latest book called The Christian Case for Bitcoin, which examines some of the significant points of tension between the Christian faith and our current monetary systems to demonstrate why an alternative is needed. If you're a Christian exploring Bitcoin or looking to understand some of the similarities between the two, then this book is written for you. Click the link in today's episode for more information. And if you're sensing you can use some help and clarity of direction for you in these areas, or if you'd like some help for your church in adopting Bitcoin, start a conversation with us by visiting the links in the show notes of today's podcast. Next week, we're back with a brand new episode, so be sure to subscribe for all of the latest updates. And until then, have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Mission Bitcoin podcast. To access the tools discussed today, be sure to use the links found in the show notes. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional.